If you will, turn with me to 1 Peter again, and we're going to get started on that. We're, we're going to end uh, this study uh, today in 1 Peter. It was a temptation for me to say, well, this doesn't sound like um, it's much about thanksgiving or much about praising God. But, you know, I believe if we really want to praise God for our salvation and for his being such a faithful God, we would determine that we would do everything in our power and by his power to be his holy people. And, and folks, I, you know, again, that's where I'm coming from this morning, but I want to share something that doesn't have anything to do with First Peter. But, you know, I, I do feel sometimes I, I don't want any of us to act uh, hypocritical in the sense that we would do something that we really don't mean. But I don't want any of us to feel inhibited or uh, kept from doing something that would give God honor and glory by the same token. One morning this week as I left the house, I just felt like, and, and what made me remind me of this was the, the, this little video of people holding up their hands. And, and it was such a beautiful, beautiful morning. The sun was shining. It's one of those warm mornings. And as I went to my truck, I just felt like putting my hands up in the air. But before I did that, I looked around to see if anybody's looking at me. <laughs> Nobody was. But the thing about it, the Lord was looking at me. And I think that sometimes we need to praise him. I'm not, I'm not talking about just in the context of church. And there's nothing wrong with us letting people know that we're believers. Amen. I'm not talking about offending them. I'm not talking about hitting them with a Bible or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> this past Tuesday, as I was sitting with a family at the cancer center. And um, it is very humbling. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's very humbling to go to the cancer center and just watch people that come in. Um, I saw, obviously, it was a, a man and his wife, and the wife obviously was a patient because she was losing her hair, I'm assuming, from chemotherapy or radiation. But they had a little three-year-old, looked like about a little three-year-old daughter with them. And as I looked at them, I thought, you know, that could be Ella and that could be Rebecca. But thank God it's not. That's not the story I wanted to tell you. But we went on up to the treatment floor and an older man came up uh, and sat down next to me. He had no clue that I was a preacher, I'm sure. But he just started talking with me. He was from Robertson County. Um, had just, he was just a plain, simple, and country fella. And he started talking about how good God had been to him. He came to get a treatment, but he started sharing this with me, not knowing I was a preacher. And I agreed, and I said, God sure is good, isn't he, sir? And I said, you know, we've got church members that are over here, and, and God is so good to them. And he just started pouring out his heart to me. He, he, became, he looked like he was in his 70s. He became a Christian. He said in 1978, he said, I wish I hadn't waited that long. I wish I'd have given all of my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And just talking with him, I could tell, and, and please take this the right way, that he didn't have a lot of formal education. But he had something in his heart that education can't put there. Amen. He had the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what I'm leading up to. And, and obviously he'd heard a lot of preaching in his life, and he said, you know, I heard a preacher say one time that he was, he was kind of frustrated that people were getting where they, you know, say a lot of things and, a lot of things about the Lord, and even some people would shout. And he said, this preacher asked one of the members of that church, 
He said, I don't read in the Bible where Jesus shouted anywhere. And the member said, well, I don't guess he did. But them people that he touched, they cut loose and went to shouting, didn't they? <laughs> and I thought that was one of the most remarkable answers. And look, not everybody that Jesus touched shouted. But there are instances where, you, you remember Jesus told some of them, just be quiet right now. It's not time for it to be revealed that I am the Son of God to save the world. But they, they could not be contained. So here's what I'm trying to say. I feel like most of us are on extremes. We're either extremely quiet or extremely vocal. And I, don't take that as a criticism. That didn't come out right, did it? Let's be what God wants us to be. Amen? And if God gives us an opportunity to share a word about him, let's do that. And folks, in a world that is so distraught and so full of, of venomous complaints and griping, let's be people who let the light of Jesus Christ shine through us. I don't know why I got this other sermon this morning. I feel like preaching about this. But anyway, anyway, let's pray and we'll get back to First Peter, okay? But let's, let's stand tall for the Lord Jesus Christ and let's shine like lights in a dark world. Father, I pray that we'll do that that we'll stand tall for you, Father. We have a Savior who is not ashamed to take up a cross for us. And, Lord, may we not be ashamed to take up our cross for you. And, Father, may our lives magnify your love. Lord, maybe we're the silent type, but, Lord, if we are, help that our actions would lead others to you. For many of us, Lord, we're very vocal but help us, Father, that our conversation would not be condemning or judging or griping or complaining. But help our mouths to be instruments of bearing witness for Jesus Christ. As we get back to looking at First Peter, remind us again that you have called us to be your holy children. And help us, Father, that we would. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's read this passage of Scripture one more time, okay? 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 13. And we'll be reading this out of the Living Bible. So now you can look forward soberly and intelligently to more of God's kindness to you when Jesus Christ returns. Obey God because you are His children. Don't slip back into your old ways doing, doing evil because you knew no better. But be holy now in everything you do, just as the Lord is holy, who invited you to be his child. He himself has said, you must be holy, for I am holy. And remember that your heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites when he judges. He will judge you. Underscore that. He will judge you with perfect justice for everything you do. So act in reverent fear of him from now on until you get to heaven. God paid a ransom to save you from the impossible road to heaven which your fathers tried to take. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, as you very well know, but he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began, but only recently was he brought into public view in these last days as a blessing to you. Because of this, your trust can be in God who raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Now your faith and hope can rest in him alone. 
Last week, we pointed out that there are five incentives to live a holy life in these verses. And last week, we got through verse 1, so today we'll start on verse 2, on the second one, the second incentive. But let me again read these five incentives. And again, these are from uh, Warren Wiersbe, okay? The first incentive, verse 13, Jesus is coming again. The second incentive, verses 14 and 15, the holiness of God. The third incentive, verse 16, the word of God. Verse uh, number four, verse 17, the judgment of God. And and I hope we're going to have time to explain this. This is not the judgment of being lost or saved. This is the judgment that you and I will face as the children of God according to the life that we have lived. And we'll explain that, okay? And the fifth one, verses 18 to 21, the love of God. And folks, I want to tell you, I believe each one of these builds up to that last one, the love of God. That is the main reason that you and I should be living a holy life, separated, dedicated, committed to God because of his love for us. So let's go back to the second incentive, verses 14 and 15, the holiness of God. You know, and this is, I hadn't thought about it until you know, preparing this message that children inherit the nature of their parents. Amen? I mean, we really do. We, we see a lot of ourselves, good, bad, and indifferent in our children, don't we? Those good things, it makes us proud, doesn't it? And it humbles us when we see some of the bad things that we have passed on to them or influenced them to accept as we have. But, folks, if God is holy and he is our heavenly father, aren't we also to be holy? Listen again what Peter has said in verse verse 14. Obey God because you are his children. And, folks, I want to develop that for just a little bit because I think the scripture does. Before you and I accepted Christ as our personal savior, let me point something out to you. Look at these verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And this is reading out of the King James Version. Okay, just look closely at this. And you uh, has he quickened. Now listen, he's speaking in past tense at this moment. To you he has quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and who is that? The devil. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, let me point something out. Twice, twice in this passage of Scripture, Paul is going to talk about before we became a Christian, we were children of disobedience in verse 2 and children of wrath in verse 3. Look at verse 3 among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Before Christ came into our hearts and lives and saved us, we were children of disobedience in verse 2 and children of wrath in verse 3. But... Look at John 1, verse 12. But all who received him, who believed in his name, he, be- he gave power, and finished reading this with me, to become children of God. 
And folks, do you see the transition here? Before we trusted Christ as our Savior, we were children of disobedience and children of wrath, which means that we were under the control of self, Satan, and sin. But when we trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we became the very children of God. And folks, again, just think about this for just a minute. Before we trusted Christ, we were imitators of the world. But after Christ became our Savior, we imitate our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. This is what this is teaching, okay? Peter is saying here that true salvation results in obedience to God. Look at 1 Peter 1, 2. Look at this chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit. Listen to this. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, folks, again, there's something that you and I need to see. True salvation, if we've been truly saved, it results in our desiring to be obedient to God, which leads to holiness. Amen? Amen. Adrian Rogers, a number of months ago, and of course this man has been dead, uh, one of the great Southern Baptist preachers, has been dead now for six or seven years, and I, I, I was listening to the radio in one of his sermons, and Adrian Rogers said one of the true ways to know that you're saved is this. I want you to just listen to this for just a second, okay? A lost sinner finds pleasure in sin because they do not have spiritual discernment. They do not understand that the course that they're following will lead to what? Death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. But a person who has been born again does not enjoy sin anymore. Now let me explain to you what I think that means, okay? As Christians, every one of us still sin. I think that's very biblical. We're not, we've already mentioned this before, I believe. We're not going to be without sin until what? We're made like Jesus Christ. For the rest of your life and my life, we're going to struggle with sin. That's a given. Until the, the powers of Satan and of this current world are destroyed by the soon coming king, Jesus Christ, we're going to struggle with sin. But let me tell you what the Lord, because we are his children, is going to do. Number one, God, in creating us, gave us a conscience to help us to determine what is right and what is wrong. Amen? Amen. Secondly, he has given us his word. Amen? Amen. And thirdly, his Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And when we have a breach in fellowship with God because of our sins as Christians, God's not going to say, well, just move over. I'm not going to have anything else to do with you. Let me go back to this concept of children. And this just blew my mind when I was looking at it. Folks, you know, you know why we should, we should be obedient and become people that are holy to identify with our Father. And something that I'm going to try and pass on this morning, I hope, at the 11 o'clock service, whenever these young couples with new babies come to dedicate them to the Lord and we talk to them about ha- living a holy life before them. And again, I'm not saying that standing and acting as if I've lived a holy life before my children. But, you know, when we have children, don't we expect them to obey us? Amen. Let's be honest. Amen. We do. 
We expect them to obey us, number one, because that's the right thing in the Lord for them to obey us. That's biblical. But also, we take care of them, we love them, we provide for them, and we know what is best for them. Amen? And so we expect them to obey us. Well, guess what? Isn't that same principle with God? God knows what's best for us. God provides for us. God loves us. God wants to meet our every need. He wants to walk with us every single day. Folks, in talking about being holy, it is not something God's trying to do to keep us from being happy and enjoying life. Folks, we enjoy our lives the most when we are in close fellowship with God, and Satan does not like that. And so he sends all these temptations at us to breach the fellowship and pull us away from the Heavenly Father. And folks, you, you and I can take this concept of being holy as just a set of rules and do's and don'ts that God's trying to make us just be unhappy people. But let me tell you something. The more we follow Jesus and the closer we get to Jesus, we'll be happy, happy, happy. Amen. 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 Well, and, and think about this for just a second. Peter saw that he had been called to holiness. And let me point something out. Again, I've never seen this. Think about Peter's life. According to the Gospel of Mark, the first time that, that, that Peter saw uh, Jesus, he and his partners were cleaning their nets after a night of fishing. And listen to what Jesus said to them in Mark 1.17. If you'll put that on there. Thank you. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, again, we know that salvation is instantaneous, correct? When we call upon the name of the Lord, he saves us. But then that process of discipleship, which leads to servanthood and leads to service and leads to growing in Christ and leads to becoming holy to the Lord, that is a process that we call sanctification, which is too big a word for me to try and explain but it's a process of God working in our life. But folks, let me just point something out that I hadn't seen. Look at how many times Peter uses the word called in 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he who, is, but as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. We are called by God to be holy. Listen to 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9. And let me read this whole verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. What kind of nation? A holy nation. Our country needs to hear this again, doesn't it? Our world needs to hear this again. A holy nation, God's own people that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you, and listen to this, out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called to be holy. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to chapter 2, verse 21, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps or in his steps. Folks, listen, we have been called to suffer and follow Christ's example of meekness. That's a powerful thing right there, isn't it? Folks, all of us, 
well, most of us. I know about my life. I want it to be just as, as comfortable as possible. Don't you just wish you could, you could live all of your life, well, maybe this is a man thing, live all of your life in a recliner with remote controls. Just be happy forever and ever with a bag of Cheetos and Doritos and KFC. We have been called to suffer. Perhaps not physically. That might be on the horizon, y'all. I do not know. There are people in the world today that are suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their commitment to be set apart for him. Listen to what else he says. 1 Peter 3, 9. Listen to this. Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. Folks, we have been called to be different than any other people on the face of the earth. And when we answer that call, we will receive a blessing. And listen to 1 Peter 5.10. Listen to this. And after you have suffered a little while, remember again, these churches, these churches had been uh, dispersed or exiled throughout the world because of their profession of faith in Christ. And they were suffering at that time. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you. Folks, look at that. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Folks, let me, again, I'm going to give you a little bit of just my my feelings. I think about, you know, a lot of people struggle. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Am I really going to wind up in heaven if I trusted Christ as my personal Savior? That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. That's what his son says. That's what his spirit says. It's just an event waiting to happen. That we're going to be taken home to be with the Lord. And Peter is saying in his letter of 1 Peter, just as Christ has called us to salvation and blessing and eternity with him, He gives us as Christians the responsibility to live holy lives. The responsibility. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us and him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and blameless before him. And listen to 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of who? Of God. Our lives are to be for the glory of God. Folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward. Okay, all right. Incentive number three, the word of God. Why should we seek to be holy? Because that is what the word of God speaks. Look what it says. Since it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. And folks, notice under there in Leviticus chapter 11, chapter 19, and chapter 20, these are the word of God. For his people. And folks, you might be saying, well, that's the Old Testament. Folks, did you know that, again, when Peter wrote, they didn't have any New Testament books yet? If so, they weren't, hadn't been gathered like a New Testament, like we had. A lot of the New Testament was written after these books were written, but they had the Old Testament. And these early Christians knew that God directed them to be holy. And these new believers and the early church were nurturing themselves to become holy. 
Folks, how important is the Word of God to you and I as Christians? And let me just put these. If you go to the next frame, Sarah, thank you so much. Listen, how important is the Word of God to us? The Word of God is important because, number one, it reveals God's mind to us. So we need to learn the Word of God. Number two, the Word of God reveals God's heart. So we should love the Word of God. Number three, the Word of God reveals God's will. So we should live it as God reveals it. And folks, listen to this. Our whole being, our mind, will, and heart should be controlled by the Word of God. Now, that's a struggle for most of us, isn't it? Because in our day, and hear this, I'm just making a statement and an observation. This is not to be critical. Folks, in our day, we have lost the importance of the Word of God. We really have. Now, as Baptists, we'll fight you over this is the, this is the Word of God. But how much time do we give in reading and studying and most especially in living and sharing the Word of God? That is not a criticism. That is a challenge to me and to you. Folks, let me share two, ver- share two verses out of, out of the Old Testament. How important, how trustworthy is the Word of God? And I know that our young people especially, and young people don't just believe that it is the Word of God because your grandparents or your parents or your preachers or Sunday school teachers tell you that, spend some time in the Word of God and you'll know it's the Word of God. Yes. But let me, let me give you two verses, one out of Isaiah 40, verse 8. And we don't have this on the screen. But listen to what Isaiah the prophet said, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. And if it is in this book, and it hadn't yet come to pass, it will come to pass because God does not lie. Amen. And folks, let me tell you what Jesus said in Luke twenty-one thirty-three: Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. This morning, and this, I don't know why this thought hit me, and, and hopefully it's a series of sermons in the very near future. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and these two men lived in times that were horrendously sad for the people of Israel. They had rebelled against God. God kept promising, if you don't turn back to me, then my judgment's going to fall upon you, the city of Jerusalem, the temple which you, you think is, is uh, keeping uh, my judgment from coming upon you. My judgment's going to come. The temple will be destroyed. The city will be destroyed. You'll be taken captive into another land. And all of that happens. And then God, as he had promised, said, I'm going to send my people back. And Ezra and Nehemiah, and and I've got to do more study on this because my memory is not that good. Ezra and Nehemiah become two of the main movers and shakers in getting the people back and building the city and the temple again. But let me tell you what happened. When they got back to Jerusalem, as they were going through the rubble of the temple, they found the word of God. When they found the word of God and they began to read it again, the people began to repent of their sin. And they began to make new commitments to God. 
and they found a closer walk with God because they had been away and captive in, in a pagan land. And a great revival broke out. I'm going to give you my opinion for whatever this is worth. I don't believe the United States will have revival again until we get back and find out what the Word of God is all about one more time in this country. And there's a mass effort, it seems to me, to forsake the teachings of the Word of God and the God of the Word of, the God, of God. Because look at this last thing. We must know the Word of God because in knowing the Word of God, we will know the God of the Word. Amen. That's not an original statement with me. I don't know who first made that statement. Folks, let me quickly tell you this, and I'll conclude, okay? We'll do this on, on next Sunday night. The fourth incentive was the judgment of God. And the last one was the love of God. And let me just sum this up quickly, okay? I want to point something out. Peter is speaking not to lost people in this letter. He's speaking to what? Christians. He is speaking to churches. And you might think, well, I thought when I trusted Christ, that meant that I was saved, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and my place in heaven is already reserved, and everything's going to be honky-dory. God, because he is a holy God and a just God, he is not going to let you and I slip into sin and get back involved in it because it hurts our relationship with him. It hurts us, and it breaks his heart. You ask a parent who loves his child, their child, enough to give guidelines and boundaries because they know that if the child goes beyond those boundaries and guidelines, they will hurt themselves. It breaks a parent's heart. It breaks God's heart. Judgment will come on you and I as Christians, not to keep us out of heaven or send us to hell, but to make sure that before we go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity, that all of our sin has been washed clean. Because you see, sin cannot be allowed in heaven, which is the holy abode of God. And folks, so often as Christians, we just say, well, I'm just going to do it. I don't care whether God likes it or not. Well, that's fine. You have that choice, even as a Christian. But you remember the last thing we said, we ought to be holy because the love that God has for us. And folks, I'm not trying to milk this in an emotional way. But folks, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, and we say, man, this is a real place, isn't it? And hell's a real place, too, isn't it? I'm so glad that Jesus died on the cross so that my sins could be taken away and I could be liberated from from spiritual death, and I could be given new life in him, and I could spend eternity with God the Father. And then we're going to think back, you know all that stuff that God wanted me to do and I didn't do? And all that stuff he didn't want me to do that I did do? And we're going to realize, you know, I talked about loving Jesus, but I really didn't, did I? Because I just didn't care about whether I lived for him or not. And folks, again, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty here. That's not my point. I'm just trying to tell you what I believe the Word of God points out. Be holy as I am holy. That's what the Lord and our Heavenly Father says. May God help us to be holy as he is holy.
Let us pray together. Father, I pray that you'll take your word and speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray for each one of us as Christians. Lord, daily we are in a struggle. Satan is sending fiery darts of temptation, and then we're battling our own inner desires and nature that would say, don't take that religious stuff seriously, or don't take that Jesus stuff seriously. But Father, I pray that each day of our life, we would acknowledge how much you love us. That your son died on the cross to save us from our sin. That you created us for fellowship with yourself. And that in creating us, you had a purpose and a plan for our lives. And Father, I pray that we will surrender our hearts and our minds and our lives to you. Father, where we fail you, forgive us. Where we are weak and our spiritual walk, give us new strength. And Father, where we have gotten to the point that we no longer care, revive us, O oh God, that our desire would be to live as the children of Jesus. In these moments of invitation, I pray that you'll speak and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn this morning is number 530, I'd Rather Have Jesus. If the Lord is leading you to make a decision, it might be to profess faith in him for the first time. It might be to simply come and kneel at this altar. Whatever your need is, as he leads you, would you come? Let us stand.